0: Hey there. This is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, SpringsChurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. Good night today, Mills the spread. and it's not quite as cold in the morning. Happy, happy days. Um, I have a confession to start with. Um, I'm a modern woman. That's where you go, yes we know. Uh, I am. I'm, a, I'm an ardent feminist actually and I have no apologies to say about that. Uh, I don't live, uh, I don't think I live by culturally constructed gender roles. I am fiercely egalitarian. I'm very independent. I'm incredibly capable of all kinds of things. But I'm absolutely crap at DIY. And I wish I wasn't. Uh, it's, it's not my finest uh, quality, but I'm absolutely rubbish. I'm ashamed that I totally fulfil the gender stereotype when it comes to DIY tasks around the house. I am terrible at them. Home improvement, not for me. Now, Glynis is sat here, and she's the absolute opposite. I've never known anyone who can do what Glynis can do. She shames me every time I see her, because the woman is a miracle when it comes to home improvements, but I, unfortunately, am not. But I do take comfort from the fact that despite Glynis... I am not the only one who is rubbish at this kind of stuff. Uh, when I bought my first house, um, I was 24 years old, and I had no idea what I was doing. Now, on the screen, it, are we going to get this? Is that okay? The, the title will go back to. Um, I, I I didn't do this. This isn't my botch job. These are ones that I've Googled. But um, I, I sympathise with the issue. I wouldn't know how to refit a sink to the wall, would you? No. Shut up, Steve. Steve's like a wonder man. Uh, yeah, you don't have to say anything, right? Here. It's all in the, <laughs> it's all in the eyes. For me, that's quite resourceful. This one—it's actually tape and a bulldog clip. That for me is he's smart? It's resourceful. The next one—that—that's just lazy. I mean, they're three quid from Argos. Those kind of clocks, but it's still waste not, want not. You know. Now, these, I'll talk about these. Keep this one on the screen. I was bought my ha- first house when I was 24 years old, nearly 25. I didn't own a single tool, let alone a toolkit. Uh, my dad was taught at school how to do DIY. He's part of the generation that were taught this stuff. I am a millennial. I wasn't taught DIY at school. My only memory of CDT at school was making, in five years at Dormston, making a wooden swivel mirror and a plastic picture frame. Helpful, because we all need those things when we buy a house. Uh, I spent most of CDT classes uh, at the sanding wheel. Remember the sanding wheel? Just pretending to be sanding scrap pieces of wood. Uh, One day I I sanded the top of my finger off because I was staring at Oliver Lawrence without (laughs) realising. That was the, it follows your nails, but it also it did cut quite deep. CDT was useless, it taught me nothing. My dad continues to tell me that I should be able to do this stuff, but I wasn't taught, I also wasn't taught to sew. It goes both ways, none of us were. The boys and girls were taught nothing when I was at school. So whenever Daniel or Thomas have a badge to go on their beavers or cub's top, my mum has to do it. <laughs> but you can buy badge glue now for people like me. But we weren't taught this stuff. So uh, I don't know how to put a picture frame on the wall. I'm terrified of drilling a hole in something and it like you know, burst in a wire or cracking a pipe. and I'm, I'm scared. Um, I flat pack furniture is my nemesis. I hate the stuff. Uh, I wouldn't have how to fix a leaky tap or wire a plug. Um, I can bleed a radiator. <laughs> my dad gave me a radiator ra- uh, bleeding key when I, when I moved into the house. <laughs> Thank you, dad. But if it started leaking, I'd have no idea what to do and Dad will be down here on the phone quickly, come and help, quick as a flash. So when things do break at home, as they do, um, I've had to do something called an otsch-botch job, an otsch-botch job. We saw some examples of it, but my go-to tool for an otsch-botch job are these bad boys. I can tell you they work. Cellotape sticky fixers, they're brilliant, they leave no marks on the wall afterwards, You just get a bit of a scaring brush and off they come and I have put the next one on please dad I have fixed used all of these items in my house at some point with sticky fixes I have sticky fixed in the old house a toilet roll holder to the wall far as I oh know it's still there then the new people never complained They didn't, didn't pick it up on the survey this thing here that was sticky fixed to the kitchen ceiling in the old house to cover up a massive hole that the plumber put in punching his holes, his hand through the ceiling to fix a sherry leaky shower drain Cause he was also an arch-bodge plumber. But I just sticky-fixed the air vent over the top. Man, <laughs> made them think it was an extractor fan. <laughs> Buyer beware. Um, I, have, I have sticky-fixed picture frames to the wall many times. I've sticky-fixed in the current house. I've sticky-fixed the skirting board back to the, g- <laughs> back to the wall. Um, and the other two, um, Life Group can check for themselves on Wednesday. I have gaffer tape to kitchen cupboard back together on the inside for after I slammed it in a rage one day. We'll talk about rage later. Uh, And Matt and I both use a black Sharpie to colour in holes in the black lino on the floor that Matt Matt made when he pulled the fridge out and tore the lino. So there you go. But I'm not the only millennial in this church that is rubbish at DIY. (laughs) Matt's rubbish too. (laughs) I mean, he's not as bad as me. But when we first started dating, he tried to improve his abilities, I don't know, as a, my future husband, potentially, by fixing, offering to fix the stair gate to the top of the stairs. Because Thomas had started crawling and I was worried he was going to fall down the stairs. And needed a stair gate. And Matt said, I'll do that. And so I thought, well, that's, that's so kind. And he was trying so hard. So four hours later, <laughs> about 30 quid in the swear jar later, and I think a battered thumbnail um, it still didn't work properly. I mean, it was. A th- I've been told that he knows I'm telling this story. He's told me to tell you. In his defence, it's because the walls were wonky. Yeah. Well, something about a poor workman blaming his tools. I don't know. Anyway, at least he tried. I didn't even have the guts to try. So fair play, Matthew. Bless you for trying. Um, but Matt's not the only one. Peter James Wright, <laughs> this young man on the front. Also bought his and Rachel's first house around the same time that I bought mine, just at the road in Gornal. And um, he he bragged far more than I did. I was very aware of my fourth shortcomings. Pete, on the other hand, was Mr. Cocky. Their house needed a bit more work doing to it than than ours did, and he was he'll do it all. No job was too big for Pete, including (laughs) I remember vividly plastering his own living room wall. I remember him saying, how hard can it be? (laughs) How hard can it be to plaster? Turns out very. And Daniel, Key was brought in swiftly to clean up the mess that Pete made of it. Bless him. The reality is for so many of these Ochbotch DIY jobs is that whilst they might have looked okay on the surface for a short while, none of them would have ever withstood a pressure test. Um, All of them simply covered up the mess underneath them. And as in life, so in faith. Some of our lives look a little bit like our houses. We live our life our own way. We have our own individualistic values. We might adopt a philosophy here and gaffer tape a value over this bit, sticky fix a Bible verse over that part, and create a unique individualistic approach to faith, which looks a little bit okay on the outside but simply does not withstand the pressure test that life so often throws our way. We may like parts of the Bible, certain verses about God maybe having good plans for us, or about God loving us and accepting us, but then we might find the bits about God wanting us to give our money to poor people, a bit hard to swallow. Or the part where God asks us to forgive our enemies, mm, that's a bit hard. Or preferring others to ourselves, that's... mm, not sure I like that bit. So we ignore the parts we don't like and we choose to harbor resentment and bitterness towards other people that we can't forgive or we continue to live very stingy lives keeping all of the stuff that we've got to ourselves. and then we wonder why we find our faith so easily weakening when life gets tough. And then having built our lives on such shallow philosophies we often approach our relationship to God a little bit like we approach DIY we see God as a fixer-upper someone that we can call upon when we're desperate and something's really broken and hope that he'll wave a magic wand add some spiritual sticky fixes sort out the problem that we're facing ideally quickly so that we can move on and continue to live the way that we want to again but God is not in the business of papering over the cracks in our lives there are no spiritual sticky fixes that we can use to make otch-botch repairs to the holes in our hearts. We don't serve an otch-botch God. Jesus once told a parable about two builders, what he called one of them foolish and one of them wise. It's really famous. You might have heard it. I, was, I learned it at Sunday school when I was a kid. I think I was taught it at primary school as well. There might even have been some assembly song that we sang about it. So I'm sure you're all familiar with it, but we'll read it together anyway. It's not very long. This is in the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew, which is in the New Testament, uh, and it's verse 24 to 27. It's on the screen now. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, just in case you're unsure, Daz, if you want to put the next slide on, this is like the dummy's guide to this story, okay? I'm going to tell you what it means. The builders in the story, the wise and foolish builders, is you and me. It's us. We're the builders, Okay? The houses that they're building are an analogy, like a metaphor, for our lives. And the foundations that they're building on, the sand or the rock, are the beliefs that we live by and build our lives upon. Okay? The builders are us. The house is our lives. The foundations are our beliefs. Now, one builder builds his house, Jesus says, on weak foundations, on sandy beliefs, on shallow, easy to grasp, quick to understand and nice to think about philosophies. Things like this. Just be happy. Life is what you make of it. Treat yourself. Live for today. You're in control. All you need to thrive is a belief in yourself. You only regret the things you don't try. Little white lie never hurt anyone. You have every right to be angry. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. But when the rain and the storms and the gales of life come to a house built on those kind of values, as they do for us all, we all face storms and we all face gales, the house falls down. In Jesus' story, the house doesn't stand. Our life crumbles when it's built on such shallow, untrue foundations. The Bible warns us against living this way. It says in Colossians 2 verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now the other builder in the story, he builds his house on the rock and in case you're not sure, the rock is Jesus. Jesus is talking about himself Throughout the Bible, Jesus, God, is referred to as a rock. There are so many of these verses. This is just a sample. Psalm 62, verse 2, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. Psalm 18, 31, For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? Psalm 61, verse 2, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 89, 26, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Psalm 18 verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, there is no rock like our God. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Isaiah 26, verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 2 Samuel 22, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And then Acts 4, 11, this Jesus is the stone, the rock, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Building our lives on the rock means rooting every value that we have, every lens we view life through, every day of our lives and everything we do in Jesus. He is the rock. When we do that, it doesn't matter what rubbish the world throws at us. We still get rubbish thrown at us. Both houses still get the storms. Not like you're immune to it. None of us are. It doesn't matter how fierce the storms are or how severe the diagnosis may be or how dicey the bank balance looks or how... Annoyed we are about what's happening to us at when we remain rooted in the rock, our lives um, are not crushed, we're not broken, and we're not destroyed. The house stays strong, your life doesn't fall apart. So, the question we have to ask ourselves then, with all this in mind, is this and be honest with yourself what kind of foundations is your life built on? You might think, Well, I, I come to church because it's Jesus. Be honest with yourself. Are all of the beliefs and values that you live your life by rooted in the rock? Or are some of them borderlining on the sand? Have you added some rubbish, och botch extension to the side of your house that would never pass God's planning permission and will inevitably collapse when the weather gets rough? The story of the wise and the foolish builders, it's found right at the end of Jesus' sermon on the mount, The Sermon on the Mount is like a a long preach that Jesus gave on the side, we think, of a mountain, hence Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this bit, the wise and foolish, is the very last thing he says in that sermon. The very last thing he says. It's his closing statement, if you like. It's him summing it all up. And if, if we were going to study the, the Sermon on the Mount in modern day language, it's basically Jesus' manifesto for life. Right? It's, his, it's his party political broadcast. It's him saying, this is what I stand for. You follow me, this is what you'll get. His declaration of exactly what his teachings are and how they're going to change the nation, change the world, and change us. It's his step-by-step guide to living well. So the question has to be asked... What did Jesus, the word who became flesh, the rock who is higher than I, what did Jesus say in this little party political broadcast about life? What were the words that came from the mouth of the living word of God? What was Jesus' philosophy on how to live life well? Well, these are the headline statements that he makes during his manifesto. Avoid anger. I suggest if you... I'm not going to read all the Bible references out, but if you want to take a photograph of the slide and you can look them up for yourself later. It'd be worth doing that as a study. But if this is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. Avoid anger. Be faithful. Keep your word. Don't lie. Forgive. Love everyone. Be generous. Pray. Don't live for today. Don't be greedy. Don't worry. Don't be so judgmental of others. Don't be sucked in by populist influences. This is what Jesus stands for. These are not sandy beliefs. These are rocky beliefs. These are the, the, the words from the rock himself. He concludes this manifesto statement by saying that this is what building your life looks like when you do it on the rock. These are the foundations that make your house strong. So can you, right now, look at this list and tick them all off as job done? <laughs> I can't. It's not a trick question, by the way. I can't. Do you have different interpretations of those values stuck over the top with sticky fixes? You might like a few, but the, the don't worry part, no. I can't do that. I will continue to worry, because worry is my friend. <laughs> the Word of God is a brilliant surveyor. Like When a surveyor comes to a house, the purpose of the, the man or woman that does the survey is to check that the house is strong, check that it's been built properly, it's got the, built to the right standards, and the word of God is just like that, it can be brought to our lives, it can be brought to the philosophies that we live by, and it can test whether they're real, true, and rooted in the foundations of God, and I've experienced this for myself firsthand on many occasions, On I could have picked any of them, you know about me with worry, so I won't go over that one again, so I thought, I know, Let's, let's go with a really, really, really painful one that I've spent lots of gaffer tape on. Um, anger. Avoiding anger. is not something that I find very easy. I'm quite a fiery character. And I, at, the minute, at the minute, I'm facing very frustrating situations with people that I, uh, that I know that are in my life, not Matt, <laughs> I should say for the record, no one in this room, um, where I felt that they have acted badly, they've treated me badly. And my gut reaction is to become really angry at the way they've treated me. And I can justify that anger very easily by telling other people the story from my perspective <laughs> who helped to encourage the anger. I can't believe they said that. Have you ever had that con- con- conversation with someone? Yeah? It does feel so good. That's terrible. That, what an awful per- how, how dare Actually, how dare they? How dare they treat you that way? I'm often very careful who I tell the story to. Not because I don't want to offend people, just because I want to hear them say those things. So I never, I never tell it to Pete, because he'd never say that. Nor Rach. I won't tell you who I would tell it to, but there are people in this room I can count on to be on my side. <laughs> I want to make sure I tell the kind of people that will agree with me, that will, that will stroke the ego, that will fan the anger. Because that feels great. Have you ever done that before? We seek other people out that we know are going to make us feel just like we're justified in, in how we're feeling, so instead of applying the way, to the way of the rock, avoid anger. Don't be angry. Don't get angry. As Jesus says really clearly, don't get angry. Does you no know good. And instead of forgiving the person that has wronged me, which is what Jesus tells us to do, instead I just sticky fix. I've got every right to be angry over the top of the situation, and wear it like a badge of honor, actually, and then harbor resentment. That sticky fix really helps me to harbour that resentment. I can just justify it to myself. I have every right to feel angry. That was terrible. That was disgusting. How dare they? And then bitterness build up. You notice that? Now, honestly, it's come to the point, sometimes every time I see that person, I'm instantly irritated by them. It's true. And then they'll do something to annoy me again, and this time my reaction is even stronger than it was before. Completely out of proportion, but... It's built on the last time I was annoyed and didn't forgive them. It's like, it's like built on like a shelf of bitterness. And pretty soon, every time I see them, I'm instantly on edge, and I'm a ball of stress and frustration and anxiety. Now, obviously, God's challenging me on this. That's why I'm sharing it with you. But if I'd listened to the rock that is higher than I, if I'd listened to Jesus in that situation, do you know what he would say? Forgive them, Lindsay. not he? get over it, forgive them, and I'd say, forgive them, are you kidding, it happens all the time, how many times do I forgive them, and Jesus says very clearly, 70 times, seven times, Lindsay, you keep forgiving them, you forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive, and I think, well, that's not fair, I have every right to be angry, but the reality is, if I did forgive, if the, then the place where I see that person would be a much nicer environment to be in, for starters, I would have eaten significantly fewer chocolate bars. I mean, uh, that Cadbury have got flipping for Monopoly on my bank balance at the minute. The the, the chocolate bars are to deal with the stress. I, some people stress. Just, just for the record, the record, there is a link there. Some of us stressed starve, I stress eat. Um, I would have been so much thinner. Screw <laughs> some in the world. Just just don't, don't be angry. angry. Yeah, one of them. Um, my jeans would have fit better. And I would have... Just generally a nicer, more enjoyable person to be around, probably, instead of listing the reasons why that person does my head in every time I see them. So what have I learned through that experience? What am I learning? Let's, let's, Let's be honest. We're in present tense here. What am I learning through that experience? I'm learning that the Word of God is powerful and really practical. And Jesus' way of doing life is incredibly liberating. If only I'll listen to him. If only I'll listen to him. And we all need to do this. We need to continually ask God, the master surveyor, to check the ochbotch jobs in the house of our lives to allow him to continually challenge our values, our attitudes, our preconceived ideas through his word to check for where the sandy ground and the shallow foundations in our lives actually are. So how do we do it? How do you do that? Well, just before I wrap this up, let's get practical. This is what I've found has helped and is helping me. And it's very basic, but very effective. Number one, read the Bible prayerfully. <laughs> Ask God to challenge you through it. It's a brilliant, one of the uh, verses in the Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror. <laughs> when you look into it, he, he exposes, he shows us this is, this is where the flaws are. This is where you're being robbed of, of life and of joy. This is the where I want to work on this in your character, Lindsay, because he's doing you no good. I see that when I read the scriptures, when I read the Bible prayerfully. Secondly, I'd encourage you to study his word, study the Bible with other people, not just on your own. Life groups are a really good way of doing this, but it doesn't have to be that way. But when you know you've got a a brother or sister in Christ that you can sit and read the scriptures with, it's so helpful we can help each other to understand it. Because I don't know about you, but there's loads in the Bible I don't understand. I don't get what Jesus means on this occasion and this occasion. And and hearing that from someone else's perspective and and unpacking the Bible with them and studying that with them is so, so helpful. Our life group did this just a fortnight ago when we were exploring anger and conflict. That was such an enlightening conversation, hearing the perspectives and the insights that other people have had through the Holy Spirit into the, the Scriptures. It was incredibly encouraging. And three... Be open to challenge and change. Because it's all very well reading the Bible and knowing what it says. It's all very well, you know, reading it with other people and hearing what they say. But if you're not willing to change after you've read it, what's the point? What's the point? Just put Netflix on. It's more fun. <laughs> be open to challenge and change. Don't become so protective of our own understanding about how we think life should be. That we close ourselves off from being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 3 says he says. Lean not on your own understanding, right? Acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Don't think you've got it all sorted. None of us have. But we serve a God that wants to turn our lives into into a life that is built on solid, solid foundation so that anything can be thrown at us and our lives do not fall apart. And we live in a world where there are lots and lots of people whose lives are falling apart and this is why. They're self-made, constructed randomly sticky-fix, sharpy-coloured-in bits of their life that are they're not They're not true. They're just built on sandy, sandy, shallow philosophies. They don't stand against the storms that we face. A few weeks ago, um, I gave a prophecy. I want to, ap- to apologise for the prophecy because apparently I told everyone that God wanted you to not run away from his stripper. <laughs> just, I want to say, in the moment, I don't think I really... I didn't really hear what I said. Let me clarify... Uh, I meant the wallpaper stripper. <laughs> 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 okay. God gave me a picture of a, a bedroom that had been wallpapered over, and underneath this wallpaper was covered in just cracks and och botch plastering, and it was falling apart. And yet we'd put wallpaper over the front of it to cover it up, so it looked fine, but underneath it, it was a mess. That prophecy inspired this, this word today. maybe you pick that up. But... I think there's some really truth in that for all of us, that God God knows the the cracks. He knows they're still there. Just because other people might not see them, he sees them. He he knows where the sandy bits are in your foundations. And he doesn't want you to stick sticky fixes over it anymore. In fact, what he wants to do is take his spiritual wallpaper stripper and get the wallpaper off. Because he doesn't just kind of put polyfiller in things. Right, he gives you a like, a clean surface. It's like coming to Jesus is like completely replastering your house. I might be building this analogy too far, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> but for some of us, the hotch jobs in our life, they just kind of they cover up real wounds, actually, that need healing. They need healing. God doesn't want us to plaster over wounds. He wants to root them out, to clean them out, to put the spiritual TCP in there if needs be and make them clean. That we're not pain, in pain for them anymore. Some of us, we've sticky fixed philosophies that are causing real rifts actually in our relationships and our understanding of God. You might identify with the anger thing. There might be someone that you are in a relationship with that, that you are struggling with because they've offended you. Whether you're justified or not, whether they really were nasty or not, it's irrelevant. Ultimately, the person that gets robbed is you. And the word of God would say, You forgive. You forgive, forgiveness, it it frees you. For some of us, we've been searching for hope and for truth for actually a very long time. We've tried sticky-fixing self-help philosophies. we tried them, we tried this approach to life and this approach to life and this self-help book and this blog and we listen to this podcast and it's fine, but it doesn't do it. You're still just as hopeless and empty as you were before you started. Then you're still just as, as uh, lost and confused. I want to tell you that you can try meditation. You can try relaxation techniques. They're, they're quite effective. You can try healthy eating. You can try exercising more. You can try reading more and expanding your brain. You can try paying for therapy. It can be quite effective. And while all those things have got their place, they are not foundations to build a, a steady life upon. They're not. When the storms envelop us, those, those things, they only help so far. They can't fill the gaping ache within your soul for something more. Only Jesus can. Because it, it's his whole, He designed it for him. So I want to encourage you today to invite the rock who is higher than you to come into the house of your life and fill it with hope and truth and beauty and peace. I want to pray for you if the band want to come back up. I want to pray for all of us actually that we would genuinely encounter uh, the life transforming, peace giving, stress banishing presence of Jesus. In whatever situation you're facing, He's actually the answer. He's the answer. And you might have never really heard that before. Maybe you're sat here for the first time thinking, oh, I think I get it now. That's, that's what it means. That's what, that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. Yeah, it is. And if you're realizing that for the first time, we can praise God because that's God opening up your eyes so that you can respond and, and enjoy and encounter his presence. So I want to pray for you as well today. Why don't we stand? If it helps you, maybe place your hand on your heart and think about that area of your life where you know I've, I've done an otch-botch job here. My approach to this situation or that relationship or that issue, it's just, not, it's just not what the Bible says I should do, and I realize that now. And as you think and reflect on that situation, I'm just going to pray... That the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, challenges us, brings change and roots us in the reality of the rock that is Jesus. So Lord, we just thank you so much that you are such an amazing, practical, practical God. We, Lord, we thank you that your word is so life-giving. It's so freeing. It's so just... Amazing Lord, that, that an ancient text like this has got such powerful, eternal truth in it. That is so relevant for today and so relevant for our lives. And I pray for myself and all of my friends here, Lord, that whatever situation that we know we have made an och botch job of. Holy Spirit, would you come in and would you strip the wallpaper? Would you would you pull off the sticky fixes? Would you rip off the gaffer tape, Lord? And would you do a healing in us? Would you keep us rooted to the rock that is higher than we are? And Lord, for, for my friends, Lord, that maybe have never really encountered that, that that side of you before, I've never really heard about this Jesus before, Lord. I pray that you. And come into their lives, Jesus, that you surround them with your presence, that you touch them by your Holy Spirit, and you show them, Lord, just how powerful and real you are, and just how much you love them. We thank you, Jesus, and we worship you today. Come and have your way in us, Lord. Changes and challenges. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. thanks again for listening to hear more of our messages make sure to subscribe to our youtube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers if you feel like you got something out of today's message why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of jesus we are praying for you we love you so please if you need anything at all check out springschurch.co.uk god bless